Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode number 40, brought to you by the fine folk at Bleeding Green Nation and SB Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. As always, here to break down the upcoming enemy quarterback, plus some Carson Wentz talk, is of course quarterback one in my heart. He is Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Also, follow his podcast, Pat's pulpit to know thine enemy mark brother big week for me and you coming up we are enemies now how you doing brother wait we're enemies now as opposed to always <laughs> that, <laughs> that's a change i thought we were friends what is what is this now can, can i just say at the outset that line i thought we were friends it reminds me of back when i was at locked on patriots and i did the like revisited super bowl show of the <laughs> eagles and pats from years ago yeah. and you came on and you were like i thought we were friends and then you, you made, made me rewatch this game again so <laughs> What yeah. a terrible experience that was. That's a was, horrible yeah. experience. But Mr. <laughs> Kist, I am doing well. Pleasure to be with you as always. Nice to be back after a little hiatus. Yeah. We both had a bye week for the Pats and the Eagles, so it was nice to rest, recharge the batteries. I know you did a lot of reading, and I did some reading as well. As always, we start with a historical reference, and I gave serious consideration to making a reference to the history that we're living through right now and harkening back to the days of President Nixon. But that would have required me, as you might expect, Mike- <laughs> To pull out some Hunter S. Thompson. Mm, and while since it. my son needs braces soon, I cannot afford to get fired. So we're going to go in a different direction. And we're going to talk about the moon. Mm. Yes, Michael, the moon. We're going to the moon. We're going to the moon, baby. And there was a time when going to the moon was an outlandish idea. But there were those who dared to dream. Now, I'm currently working through, well, many books, as you probably know by listening to the show. But one is American Moonshot by historian Douglas Brinkley, which tells the story of America's space program under President John F. Kennedy. And as Brinkley writes, one such person who believed we could get to the moon was Dr. Robert Goddard, a professor at Clark College in Massachusetts, who in 1919 unveiled his astronautical ideas about space travel. And he wrote in a paper for the Smithsonian that a rocket fueled by a combination of gasoline and liquid oxygen would be able to dispense thrust beyond Earth's atmosphere. Now, as you might expect back in that day, there were doubters, among them the New York Times, who questioned the validity of his claims, writing that Goddard, quote, lacked the knowledge ladled out daily in high schools, close quote, <laughs> and that his ideas were, quote, deliberate steps aside from scientific accuracy, close quote. There's even a Philadelphia link, Michael, as the Philadelphia Inquirer compared his ideas to a mother goose nursery rhyme. <laughs> so with open season declared on him and his ideas, Garnet set out to prove his doubters wrong and read it from Brinkley. Though averse to showmanship, he conducted public demonstrations before an assembly of undergraduates, rigging a twenty-two caliber pistol loaded with a blank cartridge to the top of a spindle, inserted it into a bell jar, and then pumping out air to mimic the vacuum of outer space. When fired remotely, the gun kicked back and made four full revolutions on its spindle, dramatically demonstrating thrust and velocity. As he watched the pistol spin, Goddard remarked dryly, 
quote, so much for the New York Times, close quote. More than 50 subsequent simulation tests using vacuum chambers proved beyond question that rocket propulsion could indeed operate in a void. Eventually, both the Times and the New York Times caught up with his ideas. To the newspaper's credit, it issued a public retraction of its 1920 commentary 49 years later after Apollo 11 was launched to the moon. Now, Michael, wow, that's an incredible retraction. It got me thinking. What this football season has you thinking that you need to issue a retraction for, and why is it not anything you have said about Mitchell Trubisky? Oh, I have I have nothing to apologize for Mitchell Trubisky. And by the way, it's awesome that Dallas Goddard was proving theories about rocket propulsion before he became the uh, the tight end for the Eagles. <laughs> it's quite a career. I mean, what do you think <laughs> about it? I, I have nothing to apologize about Mitchell Trubisky. Hey, Mitch had a good game last week. He... he- he, he did. had one good throw. I know. I know. He had know. one good throw. And yes, I had to write about it. <laughs> and yes, I tried to make the case of BFW that it's signed that something's happening in the old noodle brain up there that he's developing something. Because look, the the, the touchdown to Broniker, mm. that was a corner route, variation of double China seven. You had yep. a flat and a little pivot route. Mm-hmm. And it's the same route concept. He threw that disastrous week one pick on yep. against Green Bay. Mm-hmm. But the one in Green Bay, he stared Allen Robinson down, didn't take his eyes anywhere else and threw a bad pick. Here, at least he looked left. Double China seven or dusty or shock, whatever you want to call the concept, is a money play in the red zone. Kids have been throwing it since high school. NFL quarterbacks every now and then make NFL throws. And I think it's just... One of those cases, like that's just something that you've you've thrown forever. He hit one. Congratulations Squirrel. to Mitchell Trubisky for Not. beating Jeff Driscoll in a in a in a big showdown. What would this show have been like, Michael, <laughs> if he lost to Jeff Driscoll? Because we were talking to the DMs during that game. We were we were holding on to hope that he was going to lose. We thought about doing an emergency pod, bringing you back from vacation on a Sunday night to break down Mitchell Trubisky losing to Jeff Driscoll, which would have been fantastic. Just hoping for that back-breaking pick six when the game got close because it got close it there. It got a little, close. A little too close for comfort little there. squeaky bump time. But yeah, no, no retractions uh, needed whatsoever. Maybe some retractions needed for – what I thought the Eagles season would be to this point, because sitting at five and four coming out of the bye, they're now staring down the barrel of two very important games upcoming with the New England Patriots and the Seattle Seahawks that will probably determine a lot of their fate. They got to get one of those two. Let's look back at Wentz's performance from his game against the Chicago Bears and Mitchell Trubisky, who he severely outdueled. This was a fascinating game to me. We went long on the Kiston Solak show film review for this because there were a lot of takeaways and a lot of things to discuss. Overall, I know that we were talking before the show and you were impressed by Wentz's performance. I was impressed as well, despite the fact that I didn't think this is one of his best games, but I thought there were a lot of positive takeaways, despite what some in Philadelphia media might want to say, because they take it as a personal offense if their quarterback isn't the best quarterback in the NFL. That's the expectation. That's the bar that we're setting here. And look, Wentz, Maybe not playing at an elite level for the entirety of the season, but I thought this was a solid game from him overall. I thought this was a very solid game from him, and I can understand why there might be some that would question how well he played. He missed on a lot of downfield throws, and mm. you know some of those were due to pressure. Some of those he just simply missed, but you might see some of those misses and think this was a poor game, but I thought this was a, a great game from Carson Wentz. He did, the fact that he did a lot of the little things 
that when he was coming out of NDSU and even over the first couple of years of his career, people questioned whether he'd be able to do. When you see process and speed, quick decision-making, anticipation throws, and manipulation with his eyes, those are all the little things that matter so much to play in the position, things that you will see Sunday afternoon against Tom Brady, from Tom Brady. Those are the things that are like the non-negotiables at the quarterback position, the things that you have to be able to do to be successful, let alone just to be ineffective. And I, I want to talk about two plays from the second quarter. Mm. First is a, a, a second and six. Yes, this is the play. We talked about this. Yeah, no, I, I wanna, I'm going to cut you off there because this is something Baldy killed once for a rep in the red zone where he didn't get it off. I think it was the first or second drive in the first quarter where he didn't throw with anticipation, get it out. This is what I, I showed to Benjamin Solak saying, this isn't a continuing problem with Wentz. He gets this thing out and uses his eyes, but go ahead. Right, but we can revisit that red zone throw because I've mm-hmm. got a different take than Baldy on that. Okay. So I want to revisit that. But this play, though, look, you've got Y-ISO. It's an in-cut to the dub tight end here. Incredible process and speed because he opens left first. They've got trips to the left. He wants to check this stab concept with the middle receiver and the trips going vertical. It's not there, and he comes right throws this between the linebackers and he's not quite sure because again he opens to the left he's not sure if he's going to get some combination coverage backside or if he's going to get man coverage is what his expectations are Mm. given what he sees to the left but he can't be sure of it so when he comes back to the right he doesn't know if that linebacker is going to get under Ertz or not but there's just this slight crease where the linebacker steps outside to pick up the swing route out of the backfield and he's pulling the trigger to make this throw. Yeah. It's incredible anticipation from him, but it's also the process and speed here because, again, he opens left. He wants to throw this stab concept. He wants to throw the vertical route to Aguilar, then coming out of the middle of the trips. When he sees that that's capped with a good cushion over the top of it, he comes right back and throws this to move the chains here. I love this play. Watch watch what he does here. At the top of his drop, he's going to hop. During the duration of this hop, he moves his eyes from left to right and has, by the time he has set his feet, he has already made the decision to throw. Yep. That's super quick processing. I yeah, agree. it's incredibly quick processing. And as you said, when he finishes his hop, he, again, let's talk about the footwork and the technique here because he's got himself in position to throw this right where it needs to be. I mean, mm-hmm. it's incredible lower body mechanics. It's one of those instances where we sometimes talk about quarterbacks to their feet, do they, they're the window into a quarterback's mind. Here it's all in sync because he knows, okay, I'm going to come back and throw this in cut. And the feet are right there. It all works in sync perfectly. And you see the ball and the offhand separate as he lands. He knows he's he's pulling the trigger here. Yeah. So it's a very impressive play. Let's Before I talk about the next one I want to talk to, let's go back to that baldy play. It's third and three, 729 or 724. Yep. It's first quarter, 724, I believe, because – I've got a completely different take on this. And I understand what Baldy's saying because they come to a follow concept here, which they had hit earlier in this game. They had hit it on a fourth and two on this drive, I believe, to extend it where you've got the first tight end crossing and then the second tight end coming. Now, what Baldy wants to have him do here is throw to that follow tight end again, the second tight end, which is Ertz, which is he's coming from left to right and he's open for a flash second at the goal line. The problem is... Look at that safety. Yeah. There is a small window perhaps to throw it, but it's your opening drive of the game. It's third and goal. There's a chance if you pull the trigger here, this guy jumps it Mm. for six the other way. Mm -hmm. Okay? And so I chalked this up as a good no-throw decision, and it brought me back to something I wrote in 
2015 about Carson Wentz and Christian Hackenberg, no throw decisions in the weak side defensive end drop. It's a piece I wrote over at Inside the Pylon where they both faced that sort of weak side defensive end dropping underneath a stick route that they wanted to throw. One quarterback saw it, came to the other side of the field and made a play to the other side of the field. The other quarterback saw it, threw it anyway, and threw a pick six to the defensive end. Now, one of those guys is still playing, and he's the one that made the right read, and that's Carson Wentz. So you've seen no-throw decisions from him before, going back to his days at NDSU. I chalk this up as a good no-throw because then he looks to the backside here, and he's trying to work the two-man concept to the right, right, and both of those are covered. So he doesn't throw it, he takes the sack, you get three. Okay, you get three in your opening drive, you would have liked six or seven. But it's better than turning it over on the goal line. So I'm okay with what he does here. Yeah, I agree. Like it wasn't an egregious decision as it was made out to be by some. And I'm like you said, I was more critical of him for it. However, like I said, there were examples in the rest of the game, even earlier on that fourth down. And then the, t- the play we just talked about in the second quarter where he showed decisiveness is a problem. If he continues to miss that that throw, to miss that decision even when it's more open, and that one in the second quarter, there was a triangle of defenders there that he had to fit it through. Right. So hitting Ertz on his on his back step, in rhythm, in a window, has never been an issue for Carson Wentz. So I don't think right. it's going to be one that continues. Let's talk about the other play in the second quarter that you had uh, lined up for us. Yeah, and this is uh, 627. It's the touchdown to Ertz, mm. uh, second and twelve. And again, this is another sort of dual half field concept. You got the YY win to the right. They're going to run dyno to that side, double post, where you've got Goddard on the inside and then Ertz on the outside post. They come back again. He opens to the left. It, it's sort of a very mix between either Haas or Stab again, where you've yeah. got a hitch on the outside and then a fade route from the slot. He opens to that again, and again, it's covered. So then he comes back to the two post routes. And the beauty of Dino is you use the inside post to influence the safety. Then you get that bracketed leverage outside post. And that's exactly what he does here. Because look at how he influences the free safety in the middle of the field. Because once he turns his eyes to the right, that free safety sees him looking at Goddard, crashes down on it. And look at the window of space that creates. Mm -hmm. It's a wide open throw. The reason why it's wide open is because of Wentz's eyes. Again, he influences that free safety. Sunday, you're going to see one of the best ever to influence defenders, and that's Tom Brady. That's more than anything else. You know, his pocket movement and his ability to get defenders out of position with his eyes, that's what's enabled him to play until he's 42. If Wentz keeps making reads and throws and using his eyes like this, maybe Wentz will play until he's 42 as well, because this was tremendous from Carson Wentz. By the way, I was watching during my vacation, you know, you had the the Disney Plus came out, and uh, that was great because I also convinced the wife to get ESPN Plus with it as part of the bundle, which gives me access to the detail series by Peyton Manning, which is fantastic. And he was going through some Carson Wentz stuff, and he really loved the way that he worked on the little things, did little things with RPOs, like continuing the throwing motion after handing off, using his eyes. Uh, he liked the way he licked his fingers, adjusted his chest pad, and then wiped his fingers on the towel, which was nice because he has his own routine where he plays with his knee pads and whatnot. And I mean, it's a little side comedy note from from him, but I uh, really liked what uh, Peyton had to say about Carson and, and how he does the little things well and then is able to speed up his processing and his throwing delivery with his athleticism and his muscle memory and to be able to make quick throws that other quarterbacks just aren't really able to make because they don't have that same kind of pizzazz that once has. So a lot of good stuff about Wentz on that show. I would highly recommend that series. I would highly recommend listening to anything that Mark Schofield says about Carson Wentz because 
This guy knows quarterbacking. And as a guy who knows quarterbacking, maybe a little bit, let, let's talk about maybe what you expect from Carson Wentz coming up against this New England defense that has made so many quarterbacks just look stupid. Now, whether these quarterbacks were stupid to begin with or not, we can talk about Josh Allen. We can talk about, you know, uh, Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones. We can talk about Daniel Jones. This defense has a way of making quarterbacks just just stupid stupid decisions and it's hard to discern how much of it is the Patriots defense or the quarterbacks that they played obviously they haven't had the hardest schedule in the universe right. you go up against Lamar you give up some points what do you expect from Wentz against this defense well, well the thing about going up against Bill Belichick and the Patriots defense is you know we talk every so often about the concept of quicksand at the quarterback position where sometimes you get a couple of mistakes together and you start pressing and you force the issue and then you make more mistakes and it's like you're fighting against yourself you're in quicksand they start you in quicksand because you go into this game sort of expecting that you're going to see things that you've never seen before. They're going to do things schematically that you haven't seen before. And you start thinking against yourself before the ball is kicked off. And so you start in quicksand and then they will do things that you aren't expecting. I mean, we spent so much time in the build up to that Baltimore game wondering about how Bill Belichick is going to counter Lamar Jackson. And we thought about, you know, light packages, a lot of safeties and defensive backs on the field, the tight front. And they come out and they're running 3-5, you know, with five linebackers on the field because they will do things that you don't expect. And well, the thing we expect from this Patriots defense is man coverage, right? They play man, man coverage more than anybody else. That's where Belichick wants to be. He's not afraid to go cover zero. He trusts the guys in the secondary. And so at the outset, you think Carson Wentz is going to see a ton of man coverage in this game, mm. which at times has led to some big plays for them. But it gets you back to some of the misfires that he had against Chicago. You had those man coverage opportunities with shots downfield. you got to hit on those you know, if you're going to beat New England. And he missed some of those. And so that's one thing that I'm going to be watching because there are going to be opportunities to hit on some plays downfield. They got to capitalize on those. Hmm. Another thing that I'm going to be watching for is look that Jello, that jet all go. We know the Eagles love to run that, right? Where you've got the jet motion, you get Sanders out of the backfield. This play sort of took off thanks to an open and night touchdown from Alex Smith to Kareem Hunt a couple of years ago after Super Bowl 51 against yes. these New England Patriots. Mm -hmm. That was you had Tyreek Hill in motion. Everybody flooded to the edge because they thought they were going to do something with him. And you get Hunt open, and it's just an easy throw and catch. And now teams are running it all the time like the Eagles. And so I want to see how early they go to that, or do they set it up like they have been with running some pony package stuff with Howard and Sanders in the backfield, running the ball a little bit. You had that long touchdown against Buffalo get New England to perhaps forget about it, and then hit them late with that. So that's another thing I'll be watching for. I like it. I like it. Big time matchup. And we're going to be talking about the other quarterback on the other side of the ball or the other on the other team, rather, for the New England Patriots, Tom Brady. We're going to dig into his game, his season, what we expect from him in this game that's coming up next here on the QB Sco Show. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. 
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back here on the QB Sco Show, episode 40, Bleeding Green Nation, SB Nation, Michael Kist here with Mark Schofield. So we talked about some Carson Wentz. Now let's flip it to one of the legends. Some people call him the GOAT. He's Tom Brady. And Mark, I asked this jokingly, but it seems like we have to do this every year with Tom Brady. Is Tom Brady completely washed? <laughs> no, no, he, he he's not. And no. Look, I get it. We all have our brands, our sticks. Look, part of my brand on Twitter is being self-deprecating, loving Toto, and building furniture. Like, yeah. that's what I do on Twitter. It, it, it works for me. And there has been a cottage industry created of people like Nick Wright and Max Kellerman and Rob Parker who have been declaring from the rooftops since 2014, if not earlier, that Brady was done. And look – they will be right eventually. Yeah. You know, they're going to get it right at some point. Yeah. Now, whether we're alive to see it or not remains to be seen because the guy is still playing Brady at an extremely high level. And yes, I know I'm a dirty, filthy Patriots <laughs> fan. I know I'm an unholy person in an extremely holy land here on this show. I get it. But I'm not just saying this as like a Patriots homer. Look, I've got a Wentz jersey in my closet. I've got a Watson jersey in my closet. I have a Brady jersey in my closet. They all play the position extremely well. But when you watch Tom Brady, it's those non-negotiables. And I've written about this a ton at places like Matt Waldman's site and elsewhere where the things like we were talking about with Wentz, using your eyes, anticipation, subtle pocket movement. These are the things that have enabled Tom Brady to play until he's 42. When you watch Tom Brady, there's a reason why people will go onto Twitter and say things that might sound outlandish like he's the best you know, off-structure, outside-of-the-pocket quarterback in the game, which at first blush is pretty wild. And yes, it kind of is a little bit wild. But at the same time, he has that ability, those eyes in the back of his head, that feel for the pocket where if you get that free rush at him from the blind side, chances are he's going to avoid it. Mm. And he's not an athlete. He's not super fast. I'm sure, Michael, you could run a better 40 than he could. I don't know if I can, but I think you could. But he has that ability, that feel for the pocket to avoid big hits. It's rare, extremely rare to see Tom Brady get lit up because even if you get a free shot at him, he's going to do something, whether it's a subtle shoulder dip, a quick little step, just something to avoid the full brunt of it. And that again, is another reason why he's still playing at such a high level is because he's avoided these hits over the 20 years of his career. So I wanted to ask you a question because as you look through like his week-by-week -week performance throughout this season, overall, I mean, it's it's all been very solid. I mean, especially in the beginning of the season. You know, you play Pittsburgh and Miami and, and, and the Jets, and I thought those were three really, really masterful games from him. But then you get to week four and you get to Buffalo. And I think Buffalo is an outlier this season. I'm not sure it's something that you can duplicate. And I don't think the Eagles defense is anywhere near what the Buffalo Bills defense is right now. But maybe there are some things from that Buffalo game that you can take away as a defense that say, this is what we can frustrate Brady with. What happened in that Buffalo game that made it such an outlier and, and, and gave Brady such big time problems? 
Well, there are two things that the Bills defense has done to Tom Brady, and it's not just that game, but over the course of the past couple of seasons mm. that have really sort of, if you want to talk about the blueprint or the roadmap to beating Tom Brady, you put on Bills tape because there's two things that they do extremely well. And if you think back to last year there, I think it was week 16 game mm-hmm. when you know New England beat Buffalo. And their passing game looked inept. And I sat on the microphone, this very microphone, and said to my listeners on my show, I don't think they can be successful enough to throw throw in the ball to win a playoff game. Like Their <laughs> passing game is that bad. Now, right. again, I was clearly wrong, but it's the Bills and what they do. And the two things are this. One is something that we all know, right? With Tom Brady, quick interior pressure. And it's something that if you go back and look at Super Bowl 52, it's something you and Ben and myself were talking about in the buildup to that show. The thing that terrified me about that game was when Philadelphia would take Eds like Brandon Graham and kick him inside and win one-on-one matchups against their guards like Shaq Mason and cause havoc on the interior. And Michael, how did that game ultimately end? You were so right about that. That was the one it- thing you were pounding the me. table all week, and that's exactly me. what happened. <laughs> but but that's sort of the, the book that everybody has on Brady, which is you want to get him quick interior pressure. You want to get pressure in his face because they want to be a time and rhythm-based offense. And if you get pressure off the edges, he doesn't care. He loves that because he's, again, so good at clicking and climbing the pocket. But he's not athletic enough where if you get quick A-gap pressure, he's going to run around you and pull a Lamar Jackson on you. He can't do that. And even if he gets blocked and he has – he has time to throw, it might still disrupt the timing of where they want to be offensively. And so that's the first thing to look at. And can you duplicate some of what you guys did in Super Bowl 52? The other thing is this, and this might be a bit tougher of a lift for your defense, is can you spin the safeties at the snap in a fluid and effective manner to confuse maybe not 12, but maybe to confuse 13, mm. to confuse 11, mm-hmm. to confuse 14? Because like many offenses, the Patriots playbook and their route concepts are predicated upon route adjustments based on coverage. Mm. And the goal in spitting the safeties against New England isn't so much to confuse Tom Brady because you're not going to, but if you can get him on a different page than his receivers, yeah. you're going to, again, disrupt the timing and the rhythm of their offense and throw it all off kilter. And that's where they want to be. They want to be have everybody on the same page. It's why they use motion so much before the snap is because it gives them that pre-snap indicator and it's for Tom Brady, yes, but it's for everybody else. So everybody knows, okay, it's man coverage here. So this is what I'm going to be running based on the route concept, what it's called. But if you confuse people at the snap, you're going to throw that time it off. So those are the two things that you can do against Tom Brady that Buffalo does so incredibly well because their safeties are so good at spinning at the snap. That's something to definitely try to do against New England on Sunday. Yeah, and that's something that the Eagles saw with Buffalo and Carson Wentz was able to handle it pretty well. But you're right. You have to unplug the router, essentially. You have to disconnect the Wi-Fi between Tom Brady and his receivers because it makes Brady look bad, but... Really what's happening is the receivers can't really figure out what they're supposed to be doing on their routes, and it causes that disconnect and can really cause havoc and shut down the entirety of a passing game. We'll see if the Eagles are able to do that. I don't have a whole lot of faith in that. Let's talk about where Tom has found some of his bigger successes this year. What has he been, other than the normal stuff? I mean, we all know he's a quick processor, and he moves well in the pocket, so on and so forth. How is this offense as a whole finding success? What is kind of their identity? How can they make up for the lack of elite talent at the playmaker positions? Yeah, it's interesting, Michael, because usually we have an answer for that at this point of the season with the Patriots. Like their offensive identity is this. This is what they want to be. 
I think they're still trying to figure it out. Mm. I think if you asked many people going into this year, we thought they were going to be that 21 personnel team we saw at the end of last season. You know, James Devlin paving the road for Sony Michelle and play action off of that. And there's still some elements to of that in their offense right now. But they lost James Devlin to injury. They lost Jakob Johnson, their backup fullback, to injury. And so we're seeing a lot more 20 personnel, their pony package, with either White and Burkhead or White and Michelle or some combination thereof. They're trying to figure out what, if anything, they have with the tight end position because they're mm. doing it with Ben Watson and Ryan Izzo and Matt Lacoste. And so <laughs> they're, they're trying to staple that together. I think we may have stumbled upon what they want to be in their loss to Baltimore because if you watch that game – they got into their sort of up-tempo approach early. Yeah. And that was really effective for them. And it really sort of kept Baltimore on their heels. And I think what they want to still be is that quick passing game, a lot of play action. We know that you don't have to have an effective run game to be successful on play action. And if you look at some of the plays in the second and third quarter of that game when everybody knew New England needed to throw, they were still getting guys to bite on play action. Yeah. You know, because you're, you're trained as a linebacker from the time you were eight to break downhill on runs. And so if you've got that ingrained in your mind, New England will use that to your advantage. So I think we might see more tempo from them. And the other thing is, look, they're a matchup-based team. They view this as a matchup-based sport. And so, again, we mentioned the motion and the shifting that they do, which A, does help the quarterbacks and receivers, but it also gets them into some favorable matchups. If there's a matchup they'd like to exploit, like say James White on a linebacker, Mm -hmm. and they can use motion to get that, they're going to throw that. And so you're going to see a lot of James White down the sideline. He's had five targets this year of 10 or more yards downfield. All five were along the right sideline. They had a play against Baltimore, but they went empty. And they saw Earl Thomas over James White, and they attacked him on a vertical route. They have supreme confidence in James White as a downfield receiver. And you will see situations where he is flexed out. Maybe they come out in a pony package. You stay base. They get them matched up on the linebacker. And so they want to run matchups. They're going to use some tempo. And they still want to be that quick passing game we've seen from them in years past. That tempo part really scares me because even if the Eagles are successful in confusing Tom Brady and the receivers pre-snap, they can go tempo and the Eagles struggle against tempo. And you can get them into some very vanilla looks, especially like you said, with the matchups. If you get the matchups that you want, if you get the personnel that you want from a defensive perspective – matching up against your offense, they can really take advantage of that. And you add in the play action where the Eagles have struggled all year, giving up Hall of Fame numbers to play action passing attacks. So I don't feel that the Eagles are going to be in a position where they're going to have such a lead where the Patriots can't run play action. You mentioned it. It doesn't really matter what the score is. Those linebackers are biting, especially those Eagles linebackers. So there's a lot of different ways in which this Patriots offense can find success against the Eagles. Ultimately, how do you feel this game is going to go. And I trust me, I understand if you pick the Patriots, you are definitely within your right to do that right. this week against it, this Eagles team. <laughs> is it weird to say that I feel like this game is going to be like a weird shootout? Mm. Like, I not that both offenses are playing extremely well. It's just that I think both defenses have areas that they can be exploited. Mm. You know, you mentioned sort of the play action stuff, and I expect New England to run a ton of that. When the Eagles have the ball, look, the sort of Andy Reid coaching tree 
has given the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick fits over the years. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether it's Andy Reid himself, whether it's Peterson, whether some of the other attendant branches off of that, you could say Matt Nagy. Look, the Bears hunt 31 on the Patriots last year, and there were some special teams plays and some turnovers there, but they hunt 31 on the Patriots last year yeah. with Mitchell Trubisky, and they were a one-yard Hail Mary attempt, you know, one yard short on a Hail Mary attempt from tying that game. Mm. And so, you know, the ability to... You know, run your 12 personnel package to get matchups against some of the linebackers where you know coverage is sort of a linebacker weakness. That scares me. And so I think this game is going to feature a lot of points. I think New England wins a close one, but it wouldn't surprise me if we're talking about like a 34-31 game comes Sunday night, Monday morning. We got more to talk about. I'm going to be on the Pat's Pulpit feed with you this week. So if you need more of me and Mark breaking down this game, make sure you subscribe. who doesn't? (laughs) Who doesn't? Subscribe to Pat's Pulpit. We're just glad to be back with you here at BGN. Back from vacation, coming back with a vengeance for a gigantic game for the Eagles. So look. Brother, anything else you want to say to the gentle listeners before we get out of here? Just, it's just fun to be back. It's great to be back. Um, you know, just love all the. Uh, I I got to tell you, Mike, I get so many just not just tweets, but even DMs mm. from people reaching out like you've got to talk about this historical reference. One of our more more incredible followers who is at who's Shane Half, who is at Half and Half on Twitter. Mm. He's actually a high school teacher who really? teaches history. That's amazing. Yeah, and so he uses references like ours in his class. That's amazing. How cool is that? So, yeah, I mean, it's just – it's great to be back. We love the love we get um, on Twitter and elsewhere. So thanks for listening, everybody. It means a ton. Shane, make sure you check out my appearance on Pat the Pulpit because I got a doozy of a historical reference from Mark that he doesn't know about yet. Well, we're going to get to that. We're going to do some more recording. Me and Mark are going to be attached at the hip this week talking about this game. And uh, me and Ben, of course, will be back bringing you the best Eagles analysis in the business. We'll catch you next time. B-G-N.